0: Hello, folks. Before we begin, think to yourself, have you listened to something new lately? Because on the Simply Scary Podcast Network, there is always something new to try. Don't miss the latest episode of Drew Blood's Dark Tales, airing on Fridays. And of course, don't forget Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Fear from the Heartland from Paul J. McSorley and Horror Hill with Eric Peabody. You can find them all at simplyscarypodcast.com, on YouTube, or your favorite podcasting service. Or be sure to visit ChimmingTalesForDarkNights.com website and become a patron and hear extended episodes from our vast audio archive. Join us for a while, won't you? <laughs> Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 13, Episode 8. I'm your host, Otis Chirey, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Brandon Wills. Tonight, we'll hear stories of ancient horrors, the weirdest luck, Camping catastrophes, and disastrous diets. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. This show is about to begin. <laughs> Our kids
1: have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.
0: have in our first story a fellow who has been accused most unjustly of a murder most foul. But despite his protestations of innocence, it seems that everyone else is convinced he's guilty. Of course, even if it's possible, he remembers things differently. Perhaps there is something even darker going on than even he realizes. Without further ado, I present to you Killing in the Miskatonic Valley. My name's Martin Bosch, son of a German immigrant and a devout Catholic, but I'm also locked in this damn mental asylum for allegedly murdering a man, which I can't seem to recall doing. Did I do it in a fit of absolute rage? Or perhaps I was demonically possessed not sure of either, but I do know that I am interred at the Howard Phillips Institute of Mental Health in Providence, Rhode Island. I'm unable to check out until I give a full confession of my atrocities. Then I'm to be incarcerated. I will tell you what I do remember from last year. I can remember the collapse of the U.S. Stock Exchange, thanks to the Hoover's administration's poor oversight of the economy and thus ending the Roaring Twenties, as the newspapers love to call it. I, however, did not suffer any financial loss, because as the economy sank, crime rose, and as an agent for the FBI, my job only intensified. I spent most of the twenties busting illegal bars and alcohol distributors, but eventually I transferred to homicide, as my distaste for prohibition only grew over the decades. I spent 1927 to 29 with homicide and investigated over 100 homicides in that time, of which most were gang-related, fueled by the instant wealth of willing partakers. It was on December 31st, 1929, that I was awakened by a pounding on my door at an apartment in Topsfield, Rhode Island, not far from the Miskatonic River. Two of my fellow agents were at my door, what happened? Another gang murder? No, said Detective Fowler, who couldn't make eye contact. We're here to arrest you. For what? For the murder of an old man named Matthias Poe. Murder? I'd never do such a thing. We know, and we can't believe we have to do this, but there were multiple witnesses. I don't care. I don't even know what this is about. This is madness. I was here all night. My neighbors could even attest to that. Actually, they've all said you weren't. Now, just come with us peacefully, said the other man, Detective Gwynn. it will make it easier for all of us. We'll tell you more once you're in custody. Fine, I harumphed, but allowed them to cuff me. At the station, they informed me... I had broken into this man's house around midnight, beat him with an iron skillet until his head resembled gelatin, then tried to burn the house down. Oh, and they told me that the old man had a missing eye that they never seemed to find, so they assumed I removed it for some sadistic reason. Witnesses said they saw me fleeing, laughing in a fit of mania as I ran down the street and went out of sight around the corners. They all said they knew my name because I'd interviewed the neighbors recently about a series of attacks orchestrated on local businesses done by mobsters in the area, purportedly also threatening more if they don't pay for protection. Chief Henderson was recommended by Judge Hicks to have me admitted to Howard Phillips for a mental health evaluation and for the doctors to squeeze a confession out of me once I'd become mentally stable. I argued that I was mentally stable, but it fell on deaf ears. Dr. Josiah Love had told me numerous times, he'll keep me here until I tell him everything. I find all of this to be ludicrous and completely unproductive as I have committed no such crime. I'm innocent. I'll plead my innocence until my death if I must, but I'll never admit to a crime I did not commit. January 27th. 1930. I did not have my original journal, as it was taken as evidence, but they gave me a new one once I came here, hoping that I'd confess to something in it. They took away my new journal today to scour it for any evidence of premeditation. But they will find nothing as there is nothing, or at least I thought there was. They said that I'd be allowed to write in it every day, but it'll be evaluated from time to time, and I am not permitted to take it outside this building. Detective Fowler stopped by yesterday to apologize for everything, and that even he could not believe I did such a thing. I'm sorry, Martin, but I hate to inform you that we did find evidence in your journal. This is fraud! There's no such thing! Yes, there is such a thing. "'We found multiple entries in your journal about seeing the old man at the market, "'following you home because you wanted his eye.' He cleared his throat, stood up, and walked over to the tiny sealed window to look out. "'Now, they've sent me here because there isn't any evidence about why you would do it, Martin. "'Why? Why would you do such a thing?' "'I didn't. I would never kill another person for their eye.' "'It's just disgusting, and wrong to spew such liable things. "'Fine, Martin, and you'll stay here longer until you decide to tell us. "'In here, you'll just rot away,' he said as he became frustrated at my denial. "'But then he stopped before he exited. "'Oh, and Martin, why were you searching for eyes?' "'Searching for eyes?' "'Yes, you wrote about it dozens of times.' journal entries. Some pages were just line after line of repeated phrases like praise her or I must find her eyes. What's that about? I have no idea what you're speaking of. He let out a deep sigh of aggravation. Never mind then. I'll see you again soon. He left, but a few minutes later, Dr. Josiah came in with a syringe, followed by two large men that helped me down as he injected me with something. Mr. Bosch, this is the truth serum. You'll confess everything to me very soon. He informed me as the two men strapped me into a straitjacket. One of them carried a cold steel chair and sat me down on it. Now, Mr. Bosch, why did you tell me everything that you remember about killing old Mr. Poe, the doctor instructed? I thought hard, trying to force my brain to come up with anything that would give them anything that I could remember about what I was doing here. "'Then I realized that I didn't even remember anything beyond moving to Topsfield. "'I couldn't remember being assigned the investigation of the mobsters, and that was it. "'I can remember nothing, doctor.' "'His face creased in anger as he jumped up from his chair. "'Beat it out of him, boys!' "'He waved his hands toward me as he walked out of the room. "'I woke this morning, my face swollen and painful, "'and blood on my pillow from my busted lips.' These people are monsters, not doctors. This is a prison, not a hospital. I'm beginning to think this is all a nightmare. February 3rd, 1930. I've had these terrible dreams the last few nights. I'm walking through a forest at night, stumbling over thick tree roots and splashing through a cold, fast-flowing creek. I hear a voice calling to me. It echoes inside my head. "'Come to me! Find me, Martin! I'm waiting!' "'Closer, through the woods, follow my voice.' "'I obeyed. "'I crawled up a small slope that was saturated with rainfall. "'The rain began sometime during the dream, "'starting off immediately as a mild monsoon. "'Finally I reached the apex of the hill. "'I saw it, or her, there. "'A tree that was about twenty feet tall. "'But was it a tree? "'It was shaped like a woman with long red vines for hair.' "'It had a face and even nudges of breasts "'and was narrow in the trunk where the waist would be on a woman. "'She saw me as I approached and waved for me to come to her, "'staggered to the base of the tree, looking at the beauty of it. "'A child. Gaze up upon my face. "'She'll see that my eyes have been stolen.' "'Stolen? Why?' I asked. "'They're worth a fortune and can be used to see anything you desire.' and I fear they'll be used for evil things. How do I find them? I felt the sudden urge to help this poor tree creature. I felt the overwhelming want to comfort it, or her. You're a detective, are you not? As you can guess, therefore, I sought you out to help me. you are close by, and I know of your skills, human. Help me, and I will reward you. Stunned. I look up at the empty holes where I eyes should have been. Reward me? For what? Whatever it is that you desire the most. I can work that out once you've returned my eyes. It didn't take me long to decide. Yes, I- I'll help you, I stated, but first, what's your name? I'm not sure why I asked this question, but I felt the need to. Ailith. It or she, replied calmly, like that of a mother answering a question from their child. Then I awoke, soaking wet, my sheets wet as if it had rained, and there was mud. February 5th, 1930. The next morning they hounded me about how the mud got into my bed, but they found no evidence that I had left and never questioned me beyond that. I have no way of researching anything about my dream the other. There's no library access, and my only link to the outside world is that tiny window. I've spent many hours watching the birds play cheerfully in this massive oak tree in the yard. It was, to my astonishment and terror, that I realized there was not a tree there a few days prior, and I'm sure of that. For hours I sat around driving myself to the brink of madness, about whether it had been there or not when Dr. Josiah came by for another examination. This time he was alone. Mr. Bosch, I hope you're feeling well today. In case you haven't noticed, we changed your medication last week, and I've noted some changes in your behavior. What medication and what changes? I had no idea you were feeding me drugs. Yes, Mr. Bosch, we've changed the truth serum recipe, as it was not working before. Have you been having any odd dreams by chance? I didn't answer. I merely glared at him with enough anger to melt a stone. Well, Mr. Bosch, if you believe those dreams are simply dreams, you're wrong. This is the truth coming back to you. This is your brain replaying what it's forgotten. We have had the same results on other patients that have been brought here, so we know that it is happening to you as well. "'Come now, tell the doctor what it is that you've done. "'As my father would say, "'I'd rather believe that my pig whistles "'than believe that to be the truth. "'Are you sure of that, Martin? "'Are you sure you don't want to tell me what you did? "'I'd rather go to hell than admit to a lie. "'You can go to hell also, all of you. "'This whole damn hospital. "'You'll all pay for your sins. "'Now, now, Mr. Bars, that's not very nice.' "'Boys, come show Mr. Bosch's manners.' "'I obeyed the doctor and proceeded to beat me again. "'I'm sitting here with cotton in my nose to stem the bleeding. "'I don't know how much longer I can stand this. "'February 6, 1930. "'I was startled awake last night by a strange noise. "'After my brain had woken enough to be aware, "'I realized it was a branch from that tree "'blowing in the breeze of a storm,' gently tapping off the tiny window. But when I looked, there was no storm, and neither was there an even slightest hint of a breeze. The tapping had ceased when I moved from the bed, but continued once I moved again. It did stop after several repetitions, and I have yet to see it happen again. Maybe there was a strong breeze, and I just failed to notice. Maybe I have developed some sort of brain trauma, from the multiple beatings I've endured, or the drugs are making me slowly lose my grip on reality. February 7th, 1930. It was a hectic day. It was also a painful day. This morning I was awakened by Dr. Josiah not long after dawn. Wake up, Mr. Bosch. It's time for more extensive therapy. My sleepy brain barely had time to register... "'before I was out of the bed without protest "'and I was on my way down a long, narrow corridor "'to the door that waited at the end. "'I should have known something was wrong "'but the door had no window or sign. "'I was led in. "'The door snapped shut behind me with a loud bang. "'The room was led barely more than a cave. "'I could see a chair in the middle of the room, "'which the doctor led me toward. "'He told me to sit, and I had learned to obey.' Two of his assistants appeared out of the darkness and cuffed my arms to the sides of the chair. The doctor appeared again, this time with a syringe. I believe we have the serum completed now, Mr. Bosch. Don't worry, because you won't remember a thing. He smirked as he pressed the syringe into my restrained right arm. I can remember a slight burning sensation as the serum made its way through my veins. Then I remember nothing. "'until I woke up in my bed later that day "'and I wasn't beaten this time. "'The doctor came in again after a short time. "'So, Mr. Bosch, do you recall anything from our meeting earlier?' "'I thought for a few moments. "'Just being in that room in the syringe. "'After that, nothing, but my head still feels fuzzy. "'Oh, that's normal, completely normal. "'All our test patients have reported being drowsy for a few hours.' but it has had a 100% success rate, and you were one of them, Mr. Bosch. What? Really? So I'm free to go? He laughed and laughed and laughed. He laughed so hard that I thought he was going to suffocate, and he nearly did to the point of starting to have a coughing fit. (laughs) No, Mr. Bosch. On the contrary, I'm going to complete my report and hand this to the authorities tomorrow. Judge Hicks and Chief Henderson will be most pleased. Well, what did I say, then? Oh, plenty. Plenty, Mr. Bosch. And I do have a few questions, such as, "'Who is Ailith, and why are you trying to help her?' I was startled. Must have told him about my weird dreams, so I counted, "Uh, "'No, Doctor, Aelith isn't real. She was in my dreams.' No, 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 Mr. Bosch. Don't try to lie to me. Cthulhu has told us about your affiliation with Aelith. You are in search of her eyes, which we are in possession of. You see, Mr. Bosch, with her eyes, we can see anything. Anything. Including the artifacts that we need to awaken him. It's a shame to see you die, Mr. Bosch. You were a good detective. You've been under her spell for some time. "'attacking anybody who seems suspicious. "'The old man was not your only victim. "'He had a strange glass eye which you thought made him suspect. Tisk tisk. "'The doctor stood and walked toward the door. "'Oh, and, Mr. Bosch, Cthulhu awaits us all.' "'February tenth, 1930. "'It's been a few days since I left the Howard Phillips Institute of Mental Health.' "'now currently in a cabin in the forest outside of Denwich. "'As far as I can tell, the police are not pursuing me. "'I need to explain the last few days, "'and hopefully I can provide an accurate summary. "'I awoke on the morning of the 8th to my room, "'and the entire hospital was covered inside and out "'in thick vines and plants, "'the source of it all coming from that tiny window in my room. A voice echoed in my head. "'He has my eyes, Martin.' They're in his office. Find them and bring them back to me before they awaken him. My door was open, so I climbed over the vines and down the hallway. I found some of the staff dead in the hallway or in their rooms. Some had vines climbing down their throats and their eyes in a permanent expression of fear and pain. Others had vines bursting from their bodies. There's something else that was odd. I never found another patient in any of the rooms I walked past they were all vacant. I found the doctor's office, and him cowering under his desk. Mr. Bosch, I see Ailith came to your aid. You shall not stop us. You shall not stop Cthulhu. No matter what you do, he will rise. Kill him, Ailith said, and so I obeyed. I found her eyes inside a box in his desk, along with my journal that he had snatched from my room, and I ran out of that hospital. I ran across a nearby creek, stole a car, and then proceeded to leave it a few miles outside Dunwich, where I continued on foot into the mountains until I found this cabin. Last night, she came to me in my dreams, and I took her the eyes. She was in the woods by the cabin, waiting under the bright light of the full moon. Her eyes were radiant and yellow, just like the moon. Thank you, Martin. Thank you so much. You are the best servant I've ever had. Now, for your reward, what is it that you desire? I wish that I had never been arrested and that I could go back to my old life. Old life? Is that what you desire? Do you not desire to worship me? I knew what you wanted. Yes, I will worship you. But please, make this crime go away. Very well, but the old man and your other victims will stay dead. They will be a sacrifice to sacrificed... Sacrifice? Yes. All of us elder gods require that to stay alive. Will you do that for me? Will you offer me sacrifices? I thought for a moment, but I agreed. And so I shall leave this cabin today and go back home. But I fear those who worship Cthulhu. I fear they will kill me for foiling their plans. If I'm found dead, It is them. They will awaken him. And Ayla said, that will be the end of the world. I hope you enjoyed A Killing in the Miskatonic Valley by Brandon Wills as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Wills. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash W-I-L-L-S. You may be interested in his upcoming anthology, The Ouija Board Said It Was Hungry and Other Stories. You can pre-order now as an ebook for release on July 25th. But if you prefer something more hands-on, not to worry as the print copy will be available soon as well. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's Featured Off.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
0: I just don't know about any trusting any tree that can speak for itself, even given that the giving tree was probably up to something. And besides all it does is keep a poor Lorax from getting the work it deserves. Sometimes we might feel either us or someone we know can't ever catch a break. Of course, even if they do, there are always strings attached. Here we have a fellow whose luck, bad as it is, ears to finally run out only to receive a surprise. But unfortunately, The surprise still might not be exactly what he hoped for. Without further ado, I present to you The Curse of Luck. My life hasn't been what most would consider to be great. As you'll read, I've always had terrible luck. I was an infant when a drunk driver decided one night that he wanted to drive on the wrong side of the road at twenty-something miles over the speed limit and killed my parents. In his drunken stupor, the drunken man passed out in a stupor too much beer and now he veered straight into oncoming traffic. Thankfully, I wasn't in the car. My aunt and uncle were babysitting that night so my parents could have a night out to themselves for the first time in a while. I don't remember any of that, but it changed the course of my life, and was the first instance of the terrible series of events known as my life. Throughout my childhood, I bounced between various family members. My Aunt Knuckle took care of me for a while, until they said they couldn't afford to take care of me, along with my cousins, any longer. My father had no siblings, and both sets of my grandparents were too frail to look after me. So I was handed over to the state, where I was moved from one shelter to another, shelter being a nice word they use for orphanages these days. The rest of my life was spent going from one bad relationship to another, quitting or being fired from a series of bad jobs. And then I met Leah. I'd considered her to be my first real instance of good luck, and I've been thankful for her everything she's given me in the 11 years we've been married. One of the saddest and most stressful parts of our marriage is that we were never able to have children. That was one thing I had considered the worst luck of all. The sadness that would envelop her when the pregnancy test came back negative, the resurgence of positivity each time we would again, and again with all that hope and aspiration until we concluded that it just wasn't meant to be. A few weeks ago, my job at a call center was cut when they decided that my skills were no longer needed, they explained so eloquently. So Leah had been working herself to exhaustion at the hospital to make up for my lack of income. Her RN pay was great and all, but I felt guilty whenever she came home so exhausted that she just collapsed on the bed. Sometimes I'd put pajamas on her while she snoozed away in her deep, tired sleep and tuck her in. It was only a couple of months into my unemployment that I started feeling strange. I had no energy and lost my appetite, but then I started vomiting blood. I managed to hide it for a couple of weeks, but when Leah found out, she made me see a doctor. And a few trips to the hospital. It was confirmed I had developed stomach cancer. Chalked that up as another lucky strike for old Frank Schaefer. I thought all was hopeless and slipped into a deep depression. I purchased life insurance years ago, and I know that my wife made more than enough money to take care of herself once I was gone. But then a glimmer of hope showed itself several days ago. It was a typical morning consisting of me on my laptop, looking at the latest news sites and reading articles about more mass shootings and civil unrest across the world. I heard someone knocking at the front door. I opened it, and there stood a strange man. He was wearing a neat black suit and a leather chauffeur cap. He bowed toward me, and then he rose. His face was stretched by a warm, friendly smile. Afternoon, sir. Are you? He said, looking quickly at the envelope he held. Mr. Schaefer. Yes. What's this about? You're dressed fancy for a processor. "'He laughed. Oh, no, no. I'm not a process server. "'I was sent to you with this letter from my employer.' "'It's an offer letter for a brighter future,' he replied, "'his broad white smile stretched across his young, clean shaven face. "'Oh, this as well.' "'The man turned and grabbed a briefcase "'that sat beside the bottom step of my porch. "'It was quite large and heavy. "'He grunted when he heaved it onto the porch.' "'My boss wanted me to bring you a sample. "'Read the letter first, and then you can see what's inside,' he said to me, "'still smiling as he patted the outside of the case. "'What he handed me was a letter, neatly typed in a curvy font, "'on thick cream-colored parchment, sealed with a strange symbol on red wax. "'Like something from a movie based in a time long, long ago. "'I flipped it around in my hands a few times,' examining it for anything suspicious before I opened it. The letter read as follows. Hello, dear friend. This is an offer letter, one that you've probably never received, nor will you again. After much deliberation, you've been chosen. If you choose to do so, your family will be rewarded with a very large sum of money for your contribution. Let me explain first. Have you ever wished for something? I know you have. Everyone has. As a child, we've all wished upon a star, wishing for something selfish like a toy. Some of us had the maturity to wish for something other than childish possessions, like for a daddy to stop hitting mommy, or your pet dog to come back from the grave. I'm here to tell you about my wish. A wish that I would give anything to take back. It was the year 1847, and I was ten years old. Much of Ireland was starving to death and were fleeing for America in great droves. I was part of the mass immigration to the promised land of America. We'd been told tales of great flatlands with farms bigger than the eye could see. we also heard of buildings as tall as the sky, filled with jobs and homes, where great wealth was just waiting for you to take it. It sounded too grand to be true, but some recruiters from America told us they were true. Some came offering jobs in the coal mines or in factories. Others offered only tales and false promises. My father took an offer to work in a Steel Mill in New York City. Poor fellow couldn't contain his excitement when he came home to tell us about it. Within a week, we had packed up what we could bring along, sold the farm, and made our way to America, The ship was packed with people. By packed, I mean packed. People were shoved from wall to wall with barely room to move their elbows. They told us the ship used to be a slaver before being refitted to haul starving Irish families to become something not much different than slaves. The floors were covered in filth from the sick. Some had died and were tossed overboard. We only heard coughing of tuberculosis and those suffering from cholera. My sister Winnie was part of those who died on the way. I tried not to cry, to be strong for my mother. The toughest boys cry when their sister dies. When we arrived, we were greeted with horrific racism. It was common for us to be spat on while walking down the streets. to have names yelled at you for just being on the same street as someone. and had to have your father come home from work cuts and bruises from fighting those who thought of the Irish as invaders, who thought of us as being dogs rather than men. It came to me one day in my childish ponderings how I could relieve us of those woes. I could just wish it away. There were old tales, tales older than even the Romans, about leprechauns who granted wishes for those, usually in exchange for something. There are lots of stories about how one can summon a leprechaun. No, it's not by singing a stupid song or finding one at the end of a rainbow. Leprechauns are always hungry. Best way to summon one is to leave some bread and cream as an offering. Wait a while and they'll come. This is how I did it. My father was gone to work and my mother was out to the market with my older brothers. Mother told me to stay at home and finish my chores. After waiting a brief time to make sure no one was coming back, I put the dish of cream and a small piece of bread by the kitchen windowsill and sat there. Children tend to have very little patience, so I got up and did as mother commanded not long after. As I was sweeping the floor, I heard a voice call out from behind me. "Hi!" it was a mighty fine offering, my boy. I turned and saw a man only slightly taller than I was. I'd always imagined leprechauns being taller, barely, than a cat. This man was not. You're welcome. America! I've never been here. You summoned me all the way from old Emerald Isle here. <laughs> what a trip, he chuckled. Now to the business at hand. How can I assist ye? I have a wish. Of course you do, lad. Now out with it. I I wish that we were rich. I'm so tired of being poor and seeing my father get beat up every day and come home so tired that he can barely stand. I want us to have a good life, a life without the mean people who hate us for being Irish. Aye, I can understand that lad. You can't do anything about the other people. Are you sure that money will solve your problems? He sat down and scratched his head. How old are you? Nine? Ten? Are you sure you're ready to make a wish at your youthful age? Maybe I should just go. No, no, I'm ready. Don't leave, please. He paused, staring out the window down into the streets. I know what it's like over there. I see it all. People are dying. They try to summon me, but I don't go. I let them keep their food, but you? I could sense your sadness. Too young to be this sad. He paused again, taking in a deep breath. I tell you what I'll do. I never do this, but I will for you. I'll grant ye two wishes. The trade will be much more severe. Two wishes? Oh, my. What would I have to do? Well, I would normally ask for your most treasured possession, but to grant two wishes, I would need something more than a mere possession. But what would that be? Depends on what your second wish is. I wish that we could live forever, that none of us would die, that we would all stay young and forever healthy. Aye, riches and immortality should have guessed. He laughed. Well, lad, you're not going to like this. There's only one way I can grant immortality. You must appease death to keep your life. Once a year, each of you will have to kill another person to replace your own. If you fail to do so, death will come for what it is owed. I don't know. Ah, it's too late, lad. Your wishes are granted. One year, the ritual will begin. Your riches will fall into your lap soon enough. The leprechaun stood up and stretched his back know anyone who needs a wish, send him my way. He winked, and then he was gone. I never saw the leprechaun again. A few weeks later, the owner of the steel mill died. My father was summoned into the manager's office, who handed my father a document. Mr. Story, owner of this mill, died yesterday. His lawyer wanted me to deliver this to you. What is it? It's his last will and a letter from the bank. "'For some reason, I didn't know you two knew each other, "'but he left his entire fortune to you. "'He had no surviving children, and none had produced heirs either, "'so I suppose you need not worry about court battles. "'A letter from the bank is for transitioning the account from his name to yours. "'I'm sorry for your loss, but congratulations, Michael.' "'With the money, we bought a massive farm in Iowa and hired workers.' all of which were former slaves. It wasn't common to pay Africans back then, but we did because we knew how it felt to be considered less than human. Also because it was easy to kill them without anyone noticing. Later, it became any passerby looking for a job, usually bums or vagabonds with no ties to anybody or any place. When fingerprints and DNA became very easy to tie you to a crime, we realized it was only a matter of time before we were fingered for a murder. It was my brother, Shane, who came up with the idea to find those who were doomed to die anyway and offer them a large sum of money in exchange for their shortened lives. It's been a bloody life. At this point, each of us has killed 169 people to keep our mortality going. After I made the wish, my father's health improved to that of his 20s, as with my mother. My brothers and I reached maturity and never aged past that. We now currently are co-owners of one of the biggest retailers in the United States and are richer than we could have ever dreamed possible. The downside? Well, not for us, but for you. You've been specially selected to be sacrificed for our immortality. As for if you believe any of this, I don't care because it doesn't matter. Your family will be paid handsomely and will live the rest of their lives more than you could have made in your entire life. How much? Does three million U.S. dollars sound fair? Now, just sign and hand it to the messenger. We'll deliver the money as soon as the deed is done. I sent a small sample with him. I'm sure you've seen that briefcase he has with him. Does this sound good to you? If so, just sign on the dotted line... The driver will arrange for a chauffeur to pick you up at a later date and they'll bring you the rest of the money with them. Your family will have to sign a non-disclosure agreement, of course, and then all will be taken care of. In my most sincere regards and condolences, a wealthy friend. This has to be fake, I thought to myself. I nearly wadded the letter and threw it back at man. There had been dozens of TV camera pranks shown over the years, and I began to assume this was another one. Someone had gone through a lot of effort, spent a good amount of craftsmanship, making this silly note with a detailed story to go with it. The man in the suit saw the look in my face, and he spoke up. Would you like to see what's in the suitcase now? He didn't wait for me to answer before he popped open the latches. Inside, it was packed with more green than I had ever seen in my life. He took out a wad of hundred-dollar bills and reached it toward me. They're real, I assure you. I withdrew them myself this morning. See for yourself. Sure enough, they were. I checked the serial numbers. They were all different. I even held one up to a light to check to see the little strip of metal inside and the watermarks. All of this made me even more baffled than I was before. I stood there for a few moments staring at the bills like a monkey examining a smartphone. This is yours. My boss even said if you said no to let you have it anyway. He's a very generous and the most selfless person I've ever worked for. To him, even being considered for this offer is lucky. And the money's just part of the luck. Now, before I leave, I need to get your answer. I thought about it for a while. I knew that I couldn't possibly decide on something like this without discussing it with my wife first. Can you come back tomorrow? I want to talk it over with my wife. I don't want to agree to die without her consent. Not a problem. I'll find a hotel and stay there. I like this part of the country. It's quite beautiful in the fall. Let me get your phone number and we can arrange a time for me to come back. Leah came home around nine that night after. "'14-hour shift at the hospital. "'I was sitting on the couch in the living room, "'the suitcase lying on top of the ottoman. "'Frank, what's that?' "'She said, pointing at the case, curious but alarmed. "'Well, it has something to do with an offer I received today,' "'I said to her as I popped open the latches. "'Is that... is that money?' "'She said, almost screaming. "'It was too much for her to process at once.' and her brain began to go into chaos mode. Oh, this can't be real, is it? Is this real? Is this a joke? I handed her a wad of money so she could examine it and re-examine it, just like I did, and she also concluded they were real. What was the offer? Someone offered to buy the house? Oh, baby, there is more money than that. Here, I said as I handed her the letter, she read it, sometimes pausing to kaffa and gasp and say, Oh my God, under her breath. After she finished reading it, she stared at me blankly, her mouth agape. Did you agree to it yet? Not yet. I wanted to talk it over with you first. We agreed a long time ago, no major decisions, without the other spouse's consent. I appreciate your upholding this, Frank, but really... Doctors said there was no hope. I also don't find this story plausible. It's a large sum of money they gave you as a sample. That suitcase probably has more money in it than our house is worth. How did they find out about you anywhere? Well, I thought about it. And if they really do own a huge retail business, I'm sure they have ties that give them access to medical records or they pay doctors commissions for referrals. She looked at me for a few moments, her mind wandering deep in the chasms of thought. Her face seemed solemn, yet devoured with concern. Frank, how are you feeling lately? Terrible. I can't sleep. I barely have an appetite. My hair started to fall out. I haven't told you because I didn't want to make you worry. I don't want to spend the remainder of my life feeling sick and going to the doctors constantly. I'd rather somebody offer me a cure than a case of money. Cure isn't likely, dear. She stood up, placing her hands over her face and breathing out slowly in frustration. I don't want you to die, but you're stage three. It won't be long before the chemo becomes pointless. What will happen after you're gone? I'm here alone, stuck with the bills, house payment, car payment. And clearing whatever debts you had. Now, I have life insurance, Leah, but I see your point. The life insurance will only last so long, and they'll probably do their best to lower that payout as much as possible. I don't want you to think I'm exchanging your life for money, Frank, but I don't want you to suffer either. I know, Leah, I know. I said, staring at the money. I think I know what I'm going to do. The next day, the man showed up at 11 a.m. sharp, just as he promised. I signed the letter and handed it back to him. He pulled up the calendar app on his phone and scheduled an arrival date for me. and said they would send me plane tickets to take me to my destination. It will be one week from today that I will leave my wife for the last time. Kiss her one last time. Hopefully, with the money I'm giving her, she'll be happy for the rest of her life. I suppose this is how the curse of luck goes. What comes easy, comes with a price. I hope you enjoyed The Curse of Luck by Brandon Wills, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time... That tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash wills. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash w-i-l-l-s. Again, be sure to pre-order his anthology, the Ouija Board Said It Was Hungry, drew out on July 25th in ebook format as well as in print. Thanks again for your support of this show and tonight's Featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today. Click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Get access to our entire audio archive Dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Stay tuned as this season is just getting started. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark